0: Uh, This is Eric Grissom, and this is who I am.
1: Today is Eric Grissom, the comic book writer of such series as Dead Horse, Gregory Suicide, uh, Planet Gigantic, and Animals, and the co-host of the Classic Doctor Who podcast. Eric, you grew up, did you grow up in Jersey?
0: I did. I've lived in, I've lived in the same town, which is, for those following at home on their map, uh, Middletown, New Jersey. Uh, I moved like eight times by the time I was in high school, but never left the same town. So it was <laughs> it was a lot of uh, moving, um, but not leaving Yeah. So I've been stuck in Jersey forever.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm 42 now, so it's 42 years of Jersey. Strong. Yeah.
1: And, uh... oh, wow, you have a Wikipedia page. I did not know that.
0: I do. Someone set up the Wikipedia page. Uh, and actually, I guess as I say this, it'll probably be taken down. As like a goof uh-huh. uh, years ago, um, I work – I do, normally in my normal life, I do uh, web design and sort of user experience design.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And at a company that I worked with that I was contracting for, uh, a friend of mine, I don't remember how it happened, but either I said it as a goof or something, and all of a sudden they put it up there. Um, the stuff that's on there is legitimate. I mean it's mostly about sketch comedy stuff that I used to do a lot more, uh, before I even really got into doing comics, um, the way I do now, mm-hmm. I'd put it up. So the stuff is legitimate, but if you look at, if you look on the Wikipedia page, it's full of like the top where they're like, yeah, we don't know if this guy is, uh, worthy <laughs> or whatever. I forget. There's, there's, uh, there's actually a name within the Wikipedia standards that I don't maybe meet their notability guidelines or whatever. So yeah, it's been there for a long time. So, you know, at this point, maybe it's going to stay.
1: Okay. (laughs) Yeah. It says uh, this article has multiple issues.
0: (laughs) Yeah. See, you got that. But someone took (laughs) my picture though, last year at a con, I think it was East coast comic con, which is a con that happens in New Jersey,
1: Mm -hmm. uh,
0: and then uploaded it. So maybe that gave me some more cred. Um, but who knows?
1: um, and growing up in Jersey, you so you said you did uh, sketch comedy. is that um, something you still do? Yeah
0: I mean that was something that I did for years and you know for a while that's sort of what I wanted to do. Um, so I've always been writing uh, always uh, but mm-hmm. a lot of that a lot of that writing before, especially before comics from when I was in my you know early 20s to to mid20s, late 20s um, was writing a lot of short, sketches, you know, short little films that I would, you know, record and be in with a couple other friends of mine and edit and then release. And it was before sort of YouTube. Uh, So just sort of creating video that was able to be viewed on a computer was such a a nightmare back then.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, But yeah, we, we had done it for, I don't know, a couple of years. And then I had a video game store for three years, which was a huge sort of financial uh, drain of anything good in my life would just get sucked (laughs) out and out into the video store. But what it gave me was commercial. So I was able to make a lot of really weird, wacky commercials that I put on. Mm -hmm. I'm happy to say that I actually made a commercial that said that if you went to the mall to get a video game, that you would get crabs. Um, (laughs) So I actually got to put that on TV and they had to show it. And Comcast. It was like through uh, cable television. So where where I am, uh, the market was Comcast. So we use that. And I got a call. I remember, at like after it had been airing for like two weeks, and like yeah, we can't we can't say that. Uh, So they had to put my commercial on at like you know two in the morning or whatever. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah.
0: But that you should not you should not open a video game store and spend uh, thousands and thousands of dollars and lose to find out that you just kind of just want to make videos.
1: Yeah, (laughs) so that was a lesson learned, you know, but
0: I got to do five commercials and I'm I'm proud of how they worked out. And that led to I did some stuff with MTV because they had seen the commercials and liked them. And if people remember, there was that big boom, like the big video boom of creator content uh, where everybody wanted that on their site. Hmm. Um, But what people didn't know is these companies were paying people to make creator content, you know, as if. Just some random person was uploading a funny sketch comedy video to their site. Yeah. Uh, so I, I would actually get paid for you know it's, it wasn't a lot of money but it was at least enough um, to make it feel like oh wow this could be a thing. Of mm-hmm. course it didn't work out but it was still fun while it lasted.
1: Mm. And how did that uh, turn into writing comics?
0: Well, I've always loved comics. Um, that's something since since I was a little kid. Uh, but I never really entertained sort of being a comic writer, I think until college. And I had read doom patrol, um, by Richard case and Grant Morrison. And I was like, Oh, this is, this is sort of what I would love to do, but I didn't have, I just couldn't draw very well. Mm -hmm. Um, I did have a sort of an online comic that I drew. It wasn't anything like what I'm doing now. It wasn't, it was closer to sort of three panel set up and gag type things. Um, There was some longer form stuff, but I did that for a few years. That was sort of the mid to late 90s, I guess. Um, But then it fell off because it was always, you know, I had been drawing it. My talents for drawing were just not there. Um, Hmm. So all these ideas that I was having, I was funneling into short films or, or video. And I ended up, as I mentioned, the video game store was right next to a pizza parlor where Phil Sloan, who I became friends with, worked. And Phil Sloan is the artist I did on a comic I do called Dead Horse. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So we started talking, and he sort of brought me back into comics as I'd sort of fallen off uh, from my 20s for about 10 years, I guess, um, that I stopped sort of reading comics regularly. And we just started talking, and eventually I started to get these ideas, and once I saw how good he was, it just an opportunity presented itself, and I just sort of kept asking him if he would – do dead horse with me and it took a little while, but I finally broke his spirit. (laughs) Um, and he decided, and that, that was the first comic that I did Mm -hmm. that I consider a real comic. Like the, the online stuff that I I had was again, just like single gags. It wasn't, wasn't anything to really, uh, get excited about, but this was sort of the first thing that I did. And once, once I, once that happened, it was like, it just, I just fell back into it.
1: Mm. -hmm. Mm. -hmm. And it, does, the, um, does the gag strip, the online comic, exist anywhere still? Or it's, is that...
0: Well, because I'm super bright, um, <laughs> I had in my head that I was going to – I don't know what was wrong with me. There was just too much nightmares and alcohol and everything else going on where I would put out an issue. I was treating it more like a monthly magazine type thing. So I would have an issue of my – comic for a lack of a better word that I would put up. And then when the next one came out, instead of like archiving it, like a normal person would do, (laughs) I would just delete everything and then put the next one on, Mm -hmm. uh, which was dumb. Uh, But there are remnants of it that were still on like the Wayback machine. Yeah. And it it wasn't like, it was back in the day where you would get like, you would sign up for some uh, online service and you would get internet access and you'd also get a little bit of web space. So it wasn't even like a real, Domain, it was like, you know, concentric.net slash tilde, you know, L-E-A-P slash or whatever. Um, so I did I did go to the Wayback Machine, and I grabbed what I could, and I put that on my site, like on ericgrissom.com. Mm-hmm. You can find sort of buried there some of those things. Yeah. Uh, but I wouldn't recommend that you go there because they're <laughs> mostly terrible, mostly me just processing bad breakups and whatever nightmare uh, world I was living in at
1: the time. Mm-hmm. And with a uh, dead horse, is that something you'd been working on for a while before? Uh,
0: not, um, not. I mean, I think I started writing it in 2009, mm-hmm. and by the time we released our first pages, which we did as a weekly, and people, nobody knows this because I don't think anyone was reading it, but we would do, we did it as sort of a web comic where we would post two or three pages a week. That was 2010, so a year up until we did the webcomic. So not that long. I mean mm. it it started out as sort of a weird short story that I was going to do and then it sort of evolved into into a full comic.
1: Mhm. What's your process for writing?
0: Usually well right it it changes a lot. I always will start with an outline so I have to have some kind of idea of where I think I want the story to go or 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 sort of signposts, Um, and then once I get that down, like if it's going to be a mini series or whatever, I'll have sort of the, the really broad strokes and then I'll, I'll actually take an issue, uh, and I'll write page one, page two, page three, you know, all the way down to 28 or how many, however many pages the issue is going to be. And then I'll bullet point, things that I want to ha- have, have happened on that page. And that, once I get that down, it's enough for me to go to script. And then once I'm scripting it, that goes back and then I'll start changing the outline or I'll see things that I didn't see before or ideas I thought were going to work won't. Um, and then it'll change and it's sort of a back and forth between those two. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm no- notoriously big rewriter. So I never re- I'll get like the first draft done, Um, But then almost immediately go back and start rewriting it to the point where I'll just write a few pages a day and then the next day I'll read that over and then rewrite it and then rewrite it again. And I tend to not like to delete things. Maybe I've learned my lesson from that terrible (laughs) webcomic I had, but I'll end up keeping like multiple versions because like, oh, God forbid I took this scene out that should have been taken out, but I'm going to keep it because I never know when I'm going to go back to it and reuse some some dialogue or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I'll have like 18 versions of a script.
1: Yeah. How long does it take you? I am from...
0: pre- I consider myself to be pretty slow. Uh, I have a full-time job, so I write Monday through Friday. I get up at six and I'll write till about eight, eight thirty 30, maybe
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, sometimes nine. It depends on, on what's going on before I, I start my regular job. Uh, so I do that Monday through Friday. So, But again, with all the rewriting and stuff that I do, it takes a sort of a really long time to do just one issue. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I can't do it. I can't do an issue in a week. Uh, I try to do three pages a day. If I can just get three pages down, that's usually my goal. I don't always do it. Sometimes I do more, but that's usually if I hit three pages, I'm comfortable. I feel like I've, I've accomplished something. Right. And then I also letter my own work, so that's also a problem. So Mm
1: -hmm.
0: right now I'm finishing up lettering a graphic novel that I did with Will Perkins uh, called Gregory Suicide. Mm -hmm. But I've I've been done scripting forever, Um, but now I just finished lettering. But while I'm lettering, that's what I do in the morning now instead of writing. So there's this period of time from when the art starts coming in till the book is done, then I'm lettering. So I'm not working on new excuse me, on new ideas or or a new book. So it's, I'm sort of a one project at a time type of person. Right. Okay.
1: Hmm. And with the, the, the projects that you work on and, uh, the way that they're presented is there, do you have a preference? Do you like doing single issues or do you like doing contained stuff or, or or bigger form stories or?
0: I got no idea. I mean, I started (laughs) out, uh, with a terrible idea. And that was, I was, the first comic I was going to do was going to be 12 issues. And, and it's this monster thing that's still not done. Um, We're still on the second book. Uh, There's four more. We only put out two chapters of the second book. So I would never recommend anyone ever do that, especially if you're just starting Mm -hmm. uh, because it takes forever. Um, I do like the smaller, you know, four to six issue type, stories. Cause then I can sort of tell a whole complete tale. I know what I'm doing, uh, as far as the pacing and stuff. So I, I, I can hit my points and it's, it's more realistic
1: mm-hmm.
0: that within a few years, something like that could come out as opposed to, you know, with dead horse, the first thing I did, it's such a, it's a big mystery and it sort of builds on itself that you go too much time in between issues and you're going to lose, you know, just about all of your audience. Mm.
1: Yeah. Um, so y- you mentioned that it was like two thousand eight, two thousand nine, um, that you started mm-hmm. really working on that. It's it. It feels like to me um, that period that there was like a real um, uh, a big swell of of indie creators that seemed to come and appear and start putting out work around that time or start working on stuff around that time. Why do you do you do you agree? Do you think that was happening or?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think so, but for me, again, it's all perspective, so Mm -hmm. I hadn't been, as I got back into comics, I got back into writing comics at the same time, Right. so I wasn't really within that world, you know, I'd fallen out of that world, so I wasn't, you know, I can't say definitively there wasn't a lot of indie people Mm -hmm. coming up at that, you know, that I was just not aware of, but I definitely feel that. And it's such a small community that a lot of the people that you, you come up with, uh, are now doing you know big bigger projects and stuff and you see you see their success and everything and it's 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 super exciting sometimes you're frustrated um but yeah it's it it did seem like that year that you mentioned you know that 2009 2010 that sort of class i guess is is sort of making their way through now
1: Mm -hmm. yeah what did um what what got you to fall out of reading comics back then do you remember why that was like
0: money, uh, money, uh, booze, uh,
1: <laughs> music, like
0: just think things that were, you know, trying to spend money on X. And then you're like, oh, I want to start buying all these records. And then before you know it, all your money's going to records or going to shows or, or whatever and just life in general. And again, like as I got more into doing sketch comedy or short films or whatever, that's sort of where my head was at. So mm-hmm. I was doing, I was the times that I had or the free time I, I would have, I was putting towards writing stuff or creating stuff. And that's even today. Like I have, a, I love comics and I try to, and I, there's some that I'm reading now, but for the most part, the time that I have, I'm trying to put towards making this stuff. Yeah. I do sometimes worry that like the entire indie comics sort of scene is all the readers of that are just people that also make comics (laughs) and that maybe there's nothing outside of that bubble. Yeah. I don't know if that's been your experience or if you ever, if you ever thought that way.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think there's like a, a, definitely a a feeling that people are very encouraging and, and there is like a small community sense to it. And because it's hard to balance um, actually, you know, cause a lot of times, uh, this stuff is self funded. So a lot of times you have to choose, do you want to put out another book or do you want to go to a show and use all your money at the show to present it to, to more readers? And, and it's that, that kind of balancing act means that it's often, um, you get the, the biggest audience comes from that support network of people who are, st- who are in the same boat. Right. So, Yeah.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's that's that's a huge thing. Just the point you're making too about just going out to sell the thing, and then all that entails. And I'm pretty bad at that. Um, whereas I don't really like it. Mm-hmm. I hate going to shows. I know that sounds terrible, um, but financially it's hard. Um, socially, you know, I'm. It's always like a weird. Like I hate, I hate pitching. Like and I know you have to, and I understand that, and I will acknowledge my own limitations are probably because I hate sort of explaining what the thing is about and Mm -hmm. that whole back and forth. And it's just sometimes you just feel like, oh, God, what am I doing? I'd rather just sort of go off into a cave or in the darkness somewhere (laughs) and make the thing and then throw it out there and then let the world decide whether or not it's worth their time and then just go back and make the next thing better than the thing you made before and just see if that would work more than the you know, setting up the table and you sit there and everybody's walking by you because you're going to some Spider-Man print at the table next to you. <laughs>
1: yeah. And you hit on a good point there is, uh, I, I think that one of the things that is really, um, uh, a gradual and, and a lot slower now is that sense of learning that sense of improving, of doing something and then moving forward from that. And, uh, you know, there are people who have learned how to sell books really well, and how to do Kickstarter's, and how to how to fund the whole thing. But the that doesn't mean that they're improving as creators. It just means that they're improving as, as uh, salespeople. Yeah. And it's yeah again. It's well, that
0: and that, that that's that's you know, there's some people are too are just better networkers, or they're yeah. better at marketing themselves. Um, you know, that's just true of anything. I think of any any field. Yeah not simply just comics but yeah that's that's a huge part of it
1: hmm. do you I, I asked this on, on Twitter the other day but do you think you found a voice as a creator or are you still working at that
0: I don't I mean I don't know I mean I I feel like if you read something that I've done I feel like you there's thi- there's things that anyway that I identify with in my own work mm-hmm. that are all, always there um, that sort of I feel like give me a voice, whether or not that voice is done or if if it's uh, terrible sounding and you just want to plug your ears up, that's something else. But I do feel like there is, you read something of mine, you know, you can sort of start to tell that I wrote it, but I don't know. I mean, I I haven't, to be honest, I haven't given that that, that much thought, Mm -hmm. Um, but I think at least I've started to develop one, if not already.
1: Yeah. You've been working with uh, a lot of the same artists as well. Do you think that helps too?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I've been very fortunate, but once you find someone that you like working with, then I feel like just the first couple of projects, you're sort of figuring it out. Um, And then once you can sort of get into that groove where you know someone's sensibilities and they can sort of understand what you're saying, it it just makes things a lot easier. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard. It's hard to find. It's hard to find a good partner because that's what you know. If unless you're writer and artist, mm-hmm. I mean, you're partnering on these things. So finding someone that you can you can work with, in and of itself, is sort of an accomplishment.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And uh, do you do you have influences with your work? Do you think there's stuff that's uh, that that you've read or you've seen or heard that, that kind of percolates into your writing or is it just an op- everything that, that you grew up with is in there somehow? Well,
0: I mean, I think in general we're all sort of made up of everything. Um, so there's, there's things that probably some guy looked at me weird um, <laughs> in 1986 that you could probably find on, on something that I've done, but certain film filmmakers um, you're definitely prevalent i think through my work are are things that i'm drawn to music a lot too um if i'm working on a project i'll I'll have certain music that i'm listening to that absolutely influences where that work goes Mm -hmm. uh or or i should say maybe i'm in uh, it's going you know i'm trying to bring things from other mediums into Mm -hmm. comics if that makes sense versus finding those influences in other comics and bringing them to comics. Does that make sense? Yeah.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Do you, do you put together uh, playlists for for yourself? I um... have,
0: yeah, I have, yes, for myself, definitely. Um, So like, I'll have whatever music I'm going to listen to on that and I'll, and I'll put it on. I have a general sort of writing playlist that I just add stuff to um, that I like. So if it's like, I'll throw Max Richter on there or, or, something of that nature Mm -hmm. uh, to listen to. So I usually always have music on when I'm writing again, as long as it doesn't have words, it's usually a okay.
1: Yeah. And with the, the work that you have put out so far, you've put out um, quite a bit of it has been self-published the animal stuff that you've been doing on the mark and was, was dead horse self-published or did that go through?
0: Yes. Uh, Well, that started, it started self-published and then, the I ended up with this small press publisher, 215 Inc., mm-hmm. for like six or seven months, and we put out the single issues through that. And then at the end, it just wasn't a great fit, and I felt like we could probably just do it on our own. Uh, so we ended up leaving them, and we put out the trade. I collected the trade and put that out under Frankenstein, which is just me. I mean, and anything that I put out, I just put under that imprint name. Uh, and then the next two books were self-published, but I like that. I, I, I sort of prefer, well, I shouldn't say prefer. Um, but I do like something because I'll, I'll always know, I'll know where the money's going. I'll make sure the people that are getting paid, get paid. And I just, I have a lot more control over, over the work and how it's marketed and everything else. So I, I do like that. And if it fails, it fails because of me, or if it's, you know, so. I like that aspect of it it feels more personal i think too between me and
1: whoever the audience happens to be Mm -hmm. and do you do the design work on the books as well or just the the lettering
0: uh generally the design too um Hmm. so i'll i i don't do obviously do the artwork but i'll do the design so i'll come up with a concept or like for dead horse like the interior cover pages were always some some sort of thing like it would be a telephone booth or something and then the, the letters be written on the booth and I'll go to the artist and say I want to do this you know draw me a telephone booth and we'll come back with that uh-huh. um, but yeah the lettering and then the design elements and
1: stuff like that cool. nice and the book that you're putting out at the moment uh, Gregory Suicide that's is that going through Dark Horse or
0: yes yeah so that's like the first this is the first time I'm I'm working with a, a, a bigger publisher uh huh Uh, So that started as a single, one-shot, 22-page book that actually I wrote, Will did the art for, and then I was just getting it colored. And it it was, whenever I got money, I was just sending it off to the colorist to try to get it colored. And I paid for about six pages or so, and I was like, I can't. It was just hard to afford to get that done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I was thinking, I got to print this thing. And like, what am I doing? And the, the story is about an artificial intelligence that's sort of in a cloned body. And, but it's got a James Bond type feel in the beginning. But for the like 22 pages of this guy sort of just self-reflecting on being human and what that means. And it was very navel gazy and everything. And I was like, nobody wants this. <laughs> like, so it sat on my desktop unpublished for two years. And eventually I was like, well, Will drew this thing and like, well, I might as well put it out. Uh, so I convinced him uh, because he he could do the grayscaling. He he ended up grayscaling it and then I ended up coloring it and it gave it sort of a blue look to it. And then I used pink for uh, accent colored and it had sort of a really cool aesthetic to it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, just put it out and it'll be out and we'll put it on Comixology and that'll be it. And then there'll never be another one. Um, and we did that and we actually, it did pretty well, um, from comiXology. And then I started hearing from people about TV stuff and movie stuff and everything. And I was like, there may be something here, or maybe people want to see more of this. Mm-hmm. And I had peppered within that story, that one shot, a bigger world, like, should we ever do it? So I, I while I, I say I was going to put it out and just leave it, I always sort of like to plant seeds for bigger ideas. Um, mm-hmm. So I had that. So then I was like, well, maybe we'll just put a pitch together. So we ended up putting a pitch together. You'd mentioned Animals, uh, which is a comic I did with Claire Connolly. Mm-hmm. That had been reviewed um, on Bleeding Cool uh, by Mean Shannon, who ended up at Dark Horse. Uh, so once she was an editor at Dark Horse, Dark Horse, I was like, I knew she liked Animals. I was like, why don't I I'll just send it there? because. Before that, anything before that was me sending to those emails that just go into the void
1: <laughs> and you don't know
0: if the pitch got looked at or anything. Yeah. So this was the first time I knew some. I, I knew a physical person. I knew that they at least saw my work before. I'll send it to her. She likes it. Great. We'll see what happens. And luckily for us, I mean, she liked it. It went up the chain and it ended up getting picked up by them as mm-hmm. a sort of graphic novel, not as you know, a typical single issue miniseries or anything.
1: Yeah. And and were you designed in, uh, were you, were you uh, involved in the design work for the book as it's going to come out or? Yeah. Yeah. It? So
0: I designed, I mean, it, it's, it's, it was just sent off today, actually. Uh-huh. So I I designed the interior pages and the cover and the back cover and everything. And I'll send it to them. They may say this is terrible <laughs> and change things. So, I mean, assuming that doesn't happen, then yes, but I'm sure I'll be working with someone over there to you know they may change things here or there but for the most part yeah to answer your question i designed that too Uh
1: uh-huh. um you also do podcasting stuff right
0: i do i have a uh really nerdy uh classic doctor who review podcast with a guy a friend of mine for years dan johnson that we do every three weeks we watch a classic episode of doctor who and babble about it uh-huh
1: and is uh is did Doctor Who make it over originally or is that is it just yeah
0: it did yeah so um for us uh, in the states it, it would show up on like PBS at weird hours sort of out of order too so I pretty much remember Tom Baker and I think a lot of people probably my age that was sort of the Doctor who came over I I remember some Peter Davison episodes but for the most part it was it was Tom Baker mm-hmm. but I love that show immediately especially because of the theme song I was just mesmerized by that theme song
1: mm-hmm.
0: because i'd never heard anything like that and it was just awesome
1: yeah yeah i mean that was uh tom baker was right in the he was right in my era as well over in england and um i remember being a kid and they had a, a doctor who magazine came out and um i was living in this this tower block and at the bottom of the tower block there was a, a mall and that uh, one of the, the news agent uh, areas in the mall, um, they when the the magazine came out, Tom Baker made a guest appearance. And I remember going down and meeting him. And I, I, I don't know, I must have been like two or three or maybe older than that. That seems too young. But it, I just remember going down there and he was just dressed as Doctor Who. And <laughs> for for all extents and purposes, he was doctor, the doctor. You know, there was no... There was no in and out of character. He was right. just that's who he is. That big, big presence, and um, it made quite the impression. That was. That that's was awesome. Now, were
0: you a fan? I think by law, do you have to be uh, in England <laughs> at, that hour, at that time a um, fan?
1: I mean, it was it was a huge show when I was growing up. I was a fan. I I will admit I don't like the new one at all. Yeah. I've had a real tough time. Um, it it just has that that air of being too aware of itself now and the first season of the the reboot especially just felt like they were trying to be big budget but were still cheap and they didn't quite have the, the look down. And I I grew up with that more kind of I Claudius theatrical Doctor Who where it right. was, you know, it was like a stage set and performances and big loud actors pretty much shouting their way through the dialogue and uh yeah no i I was a big fan i I was there all the way through to um to the the tv movie and when was that 2000 did that come out Uh,
0: i think it was earlier
1: that's the the eric roberts as the master movie
0: (laughs) right with paul mcgann that's the one yeah i have not seen that like that's sort of where we're ending our podcast when we're finally done with it oh right sort of handpicked uh, a lot of classic episodes, and we're making our way through through our list, and that's sort of where we're going to end up. So eventually, I will see it. Mm-hmm. I I watched a lot of sort of the Tom Baker ones and some of the Peter Davison ones, but I haven't really seen any Colin Baker ones other than seeing that, whatever he was wearing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I never saw any. Uh, who's who's the 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 last Doctor before Paul McGann? I always forget this guy's name
1: sylvester mccoy Yeah,
0: sylvester mccoy thank yeah. you yeah <laughs> I'm gonna, they're gonna take my show away from me now <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, but it's,
0: it's... in my defense i have forgotten his name on the show too so oh, it yeah. all works out
1: well he was he was kind of a, i mean they, at that stage they'd moved the time slot around and it would it lost mm. millions and millions of viewers it was like a it was a weird show at that point it wasn't because it used to be if I remember it correctly, I think it used to be on Saturday prime time, you know, it was like at five Mm -hmm. or six in the afternoon. And, um, and you know, tea time was considered prime time in, in England. Um, And then it went to Tuesday or Thursday. And it was, it was almost like an after school show when Sylvester McCoy was doing it. And I think it moved when um, Colin Baker was doing it and they started to shed viewers. And then there might've been, like a big delay in between two seasons or something. I just remember it it kind of. And I think I had
0: heard like the, the, one of the heads of the BBC just wanted to get rid of it. And they were just trying to sort of smother it, you know, or move it around and get it to the point where they could justify, you know, cutting it completely. Yeah, exactly. I think that was what,
1: what was happening. Uh, But it was, you know, there was, there was the magazine, there was a couple of, um, uh, comic books that came, or comic m- weekly comic um, magazines that came out in England. One of them was for BBC stuff, and one was for the um, what do you call it? The um, independent television. It was so it was like um, the, the the third channel in England, and they they would do comic strips of TV shows. So there was a Doctor Who one from memory, I think, um, and there was like this this show called all creatures great and small which is about a veterinarian place but it was like it was just these weird little cartoon strips and doctor who was often in that magazine like news about it and what was happening so it was it was it was kind of like a teen idol kind of magazine that was for geeky kids to Mm -hmm. read about the doctor and that's awesome yeah but yeah i was a fan i i I, I didn't see any of the earlier stuff. I've been meaning to try and find more stuff going backwards, but the only time I ever encountered them was when they did the three doctors and five doctors and seven doctors specials that they would do.
0: Yeah, they have like, a, they just launched in the States anyway. I think it I think it may be worldwide, but BritBox mm. is like an online streaming service that has all of them or all the ones that are available. Oh, right. Uh, as far as the classic series goes. Right. Okay. I don't know what they charge a month. It's sort of like a Netflix, but for British-based TV. Huh. But we've been trying. I've been have a account going with that. It's pretty cool. I mean, there's there's so much. And I, the thing I love too about that show is the fact that when it was canceled, it was just kept alive through all these novelizations and, mm-hmm. and conventions and everything else till you know till it came back in two thousand and five. And now it feels like it's bigger than it's ever been. Yeah. But I just love how. The longevity of that show yeah
1: yeah i mean when did it start 62 or 3 wasn't it
0: it was like right after kennedy was shot right that was the yes the first episode was it like the day after or something? it was some unearthly child excuse me <laughs> <clears throat> i believe it was like the day after <clears throat> No, my voice is going out but it was 1963 yeah it was the John F. Kennedy had been assassinated the previous day.
1: Uh huh. Yeah, so sixty. I'm not saying so. they're related. I'm not no. saying the doctor <laughs> had anything to do with it. It was he could not have the, the uh, <laughs> third
0: man on the on the grassy knoll. Was,
1: uh... And uh, so, with the podcast, you you watch an episode. Is it? And you're just watching it in random order. And
0: yeah, I mean, well, it started out. It's we were just going to do Netflix like at the time. Netflix had classic doctor who mm-hmm. episodes and my friend Dan and I were like, Hey, we'll just watch all of them and we'll do a podcast reviewing them. And, you know, with licensing and everything, then almost immediately that we started the show, Netflix lost the episodes. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, all right, well, we'll just add now Amazon on here and then Hulu. So, then we started, and then at this point we're like, you know, they they took streaming off everything because they put it all into that Brit box platform I mentioned. Yeah. So we were just like, we're just going to do it. And then we've gone back and we're at, we, we basically, we've asked people to, you know, to recommend episodes. We have a pretty lengthy list. I think we cover all of the most well-known uh, stories. Mm-hmm. But if you go to the old Dr. Who show.com and you see one that we're not doing, please, you know, definitely let me know. <laughs> okay. But it, we're, we're trying to go in order, but you know, because we sort of established this weird list to start with, we're, we're sort of patching in holes at the end.
1: Mm-hmm. Would you like to do a Doctor Who comic at some stage?
0: Oh yeah, I would love to do a Doctor Who comic. I mean, I'm, I, most of the stuff that I like to do is original stuff that I'm creating.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: There's sort of a handful of of licensed things that I would would want to do, and that would be one of them. Because realistically, I, I don't. No one's going to be asking me to write the show anytime soon. But I would love to play in that world and create stories for doctor who, especially like the older doctors. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, so, that's, that's the one thing I love so much about the podcast is watching all these old stories and the villains and stuff and the things that you just don't see anymore. Uh, is really cool. Yeah. Is that, would you, would you be interested in doing that? Having been a fan as a kid?
1: Um, no, I do, you know, there was another series, uh, called Sapphire and steel. Um, which was, it kind of had the same, a similar sort of vibe, um, but it was a lot more, it was a lot creepier. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was about these two agents, um, Sapphire and Steel, the two agents, and they, they, they were put together these teams to repair um, damage to the timeline. And they would send a, a male and a female agent, and they would always be um, named after either an element or a, a gem. And um, and there were some really good, creepy storylines in that. It's, it's worth yeah, That sounds
0: awesome. When That's from the 80s or something? Yeah,
1: I think that was, it may 70s? have started late 70s, but um, I remember watching it in the 80s, definitely early 80s. And it just, it was such a good show. And it, it was really, considering it was presented as a kid's show, it was kind of horrific. There was some real nasty uh, visuals and, and uh, tone elements that were there. Um, and I've always wanted to do something with that. I'd always love to do a, a comic book of that because I think it would work really well.
0: Is, is that any, anything that anyone has done? Like no, is that I don't
1: think so, unless it's in, been in those uh, magazines I mentioned earlier, like Look In or, or whatever it was that, that were out for the TV. Wow,
0: that, I'll have to check that out. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah, i just looked, I just looking here on Wikipedia. I guess Big Finish, I know they do a bunch of Doctor Who stuff, has done some audio dramas in oh, that yeah. world.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, but that would
0: be cool if somebody got the license for that.
1: Yeah. If I
0: could sign a paper or something, I'll get you on it. Okay, thank you. Up. There's like a form <laughs> I can fill out.
1: <laughs> um, so where can people find your stuff and what would you like them to be looking at? And... Uh,
0: I'm happy, honestly, if anybody looks at anything I do. Uh, <laughs> but if you go to my name, com slash work, Uh, All of my stuff is there, pretty much. Um, Mm -hmm. So you can check out, you know, Gregory's Suicide we mentioned, or The Mark, or Dead Horse, or Planet Gigantic, all that stuff. There's some free shorts on there too. Uh, There's some free, yeah. There's like, I don't know, eight, eight or nine like free little comics I have posted there. You can also like I have a newsletter that you can sign up for, and I it automatically sends you a copy of the Gregory suicide sort of prologue that thing I mentioned that was unpublished for two years, mm. uh, that ended up getting us the dark horse book. You can get that for free.
1: Excellent. And, uh, and check out the podcast as well. The, uh, old
0: oh yeah. And that's the, the old doctor who show.com. If
1: you're a fan of doctor
0: who, if you're not a fan of doctor who, I'm actually very interested in knowing why you've <laughs> subscribed, uh, but I would recommend you do that and then tell us everything that's wrong with us. <laughs>
1: Okay, Eric. Well, thank you for uh, coming on and talking. Uh,
0: Well, uh, thank you so much, man. It was a huge honor.
1: Yeah, thank you. That's it for the show. We'll be back in two weeks. You can find us online at whoiampodcast.com and contact us by email at whoiam at gmail.com or by phone at 818-308-4066. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, there is a submissions form on the site. We're also on iTunes where you can leave a rating if you feel inclined. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Jamie Gamble, and this was This Is Who I Am.